we buy? We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you f***ing kidding me? You better not take, you better not take me anywhere I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Okay. Yo, we're not going in the city, are we? No, we're not. Then where the f*** these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street, are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street? 50th Street. East, right? East. It's been eight years since Amber Tuckerow went missing after leaving a hotel here in Nisku to catch a ride into Edmonton. The disappearance of murder victim Amber Tuckerow. After the call ended, Tuckerow was never seen or heard from again. What is up, Iwu crew? Today, we will be covering the unsolved disappearance and murder of Amber Tuckerow. Our story begins in Alberta, Canada on August 17, 2010. With the end of summer approaching, Amber and one of her friends decided to have a little fun hurrah out of town. Amber Alyssa Tukaro was a 21-year-old woman from the Mikiso Cree First Nation who lived with her mother, Tutsi, and her son, Jacob, in Alberta. Tutsi adopted Amber when she was a child adding a baby girl into a household of four older brothers. The Tukaro family lived in Fort Chippewyan for a few years of Amber's childhood before settling into a home in Fort McMurray. When Amber first had her son Jacob, she began to imagine their life together in their own home rather than the one shared amongst her family. Though she tried various times to find a home in Fort Murray, she was faced with obstacles at each opportunity. These obstacles led her and Jacob to stay at a local organization called Unity House that offered resources to those in need. The two ended up at Unity House three different times before Amber asked her mother to bring them back to the shared home in Fort Murray. Though the times at Unity House had served as an indication of a falter in her efforts to live on her own, she nonetheless emerged from Unity House with a friend one of the women from Unity House had given Amber constant reassurance and hope that Amber and Jacob would have a home of their own one day. On August 17, 2010, Amber's friend swung by Amber's family home in Fort Murray with a proposition. She intended to go to Edmonton and wanted to know if Amber wanted to tag along with her and maybe even bring Jacob. Amber was excited to have been invited on the adventure even if it would only be a two-day trip. Her friend from Unity House booked flights for the three of them, herself, Amber, and Jacob, while Amber talked to her mother. Amber's mother had her concerns regarding the trip, as Amber did not often leave the local area, especially on her own, in such a spontaneous fashion. Amber reassured her mother that the trip would be safe. She explained that she would not be alone, she would be with her friend from Unity House, 
and she would bring Jacob along with her as well. The three of them promised to be careful, and they headed off on their trip south. Amber and her friend from Unity House had planned to spend the night just outside of the city of Edmonton to save a little money. Hotels were notoriously expensive, so they instead stayed in a cheap motel in Nisku, Alberta. They checked into Nisku Place Motel, located near the Edmonton International Airport. The next morning, they intended to head into the city to enjoy their weekend trip. However, Amber never had the chance to head into Edmonton the next day. No one is sure why Amber decided to leave the motel that first night, but nonetheless, she did. Around 8 p.m. on August 18, 2010, Amber Tukaro left her friend and her son in the Nisku Place Motel. Some sources say that Amber was simply leaving the motel room to get food for the three of them, but others say she was excited to start the trip they had intended to go on. It is assumed that Amber intended to hitchhike from Nisku to Edmonton that night for some unknown reason. Whatever the goal had been, it would never be attained, because Amber would not be seen again. When Amber's friend had not heard her come back the next morning, she began to worry. Immediately, she called Amber's mother. She explained that Amber had left the room the night before and had not contacted her since. This behavior was extremely out of character for Amber, as she would never have left her son alone for such a long time. He was only 14 months old at the time. After notifying Amber's mother of her daughter's sudden disappearance, the woman from Unity House called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, RCMP, to report Amber as missing. The response Amber's friends and family received from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police was both disheartening and disturbing. The RCMP refused to take Amber's case seriously at first, stating that it was likely that she had gone into Edmonton and been out partying throughout the night. Canadian officials told the Tukaro family to wait 24 hours before reporting Amber missing, as she would most likely show up at some point. Amber's family knew that there was something seriously wrong, and they could not do anything about it. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police continued to show Amber's disappearance limited attention and efforts. In fact, on August 28, 2010, an RCMP constable sought for the Amber Tukaro case to be closed, as there had been mention of potential sightings and Amber using social media since her disappearance. However, none of these tips were investigated, and the RCMP still thought it would be appropriate to close the case. Despite all of the evidence pointing in the direction of foul play involved with Amber's disappearance, the RCMP removed Amber Tukaro's name from the missing person database completely. Removing Amber's name from the missing person database would be one of the most detrimental factors regarding the investigation, but not the only one. For an entire month, Amber's mother fought to get her daughter's name back on the list, hoping that it would change the course of the investigation for the better. Finally, Canadian officials complied, and Amber's name was returned to the missing person database, allowing the investigation to continue. 
Amber's mother was persistent in her efforts to follow up on her daughter's case consistently. She questioned everything and worked out all of the different possible circumstances around Amber's disappearance. Later, the family learned that all of Amber's belongings in the motel room were collected as evidence in the investigation, but they were never processed. In fact, Amber's belongings were later destroyed without the family's knowledge or consent, which her mother thought was both unreasonable and cruel. The family would have gladly taken those belongings as they held sentimental value. In the months following her disappearance, Amber was honored at a variety of Spirit Stolen Sisters nonprofit events. These events were centered on raising awareness for indigenous women who have gone missing and protest the violence that these women often face in their lives. Friends, family, and the people of Miccosukee Cree First Nation were enraged at the lack of action taken in Amber Takaro's case. Together, they were determined to bring proper closure to Amber and her family, despite the difficulties surrounding the investigation. In August 2012, the investigation took a turn. Two whole years after Amber had gone missing, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police released a one-minute-long audio clip from a phone call Amber had made while in a car with a man the night she disappeared. Where are we by? We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you f***ing kidding me? You better not take, you better not take me anywhere I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Okay. Yo, we're not going into the city, are we? No, we're not. Then where the f*** are these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street, are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street. 50th Street. The RCMP have stated that the entire phone call recording was 17 minutes long and was only recorded because it was a call between Amber and her brother, who was being held at Edmonton Remand Center. The facility had just started recording phone calls, which Amber had known. Even during the panic of the situation she had been in, Amber had done all she could to leave information so that she could eventually be found. The phone call portion that was released to the public consists of Amber speaking to an unidentified man. The man is assumed to have picked Amber up as she was trying to hitchhike to Edmonton, but he never took her to that destination. Throughout the call, Amber asks the man where he is taking her. Every time he answers, she repeats what he says. It is apparent to those who have listened to the recording that Amber knew she was in danger and was trying extremely hard to save as much valuable information as she could. The man mentions that they are heading north toward the city. After the portion of the phone call had been released, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police reported that they now believed that Amber Tukaro had been murdered by whomever the other voice was in the phone call recording. The phone call's release 
led to three different women coming forward, claiming that they recognized the voice from the recording. All three women gave the same name of a man that they were positive the voice belonged to. On September 1st, 2012, just one month after the call recording was released, the Tucaro family heard the news they had dreaded for two years. Amber was dead. Local police in the Nisku area received a call from a couple of horseback riders who claimed to have come across some partial skeletal remains on a farmer's field near Ledek County. Officials immediately performed a two-day search of the area around the initially reported discovery space. As the discovery was so close to the release of the audio from Amber's last phone call, many people speculated that the remains could have been those of Amber, but the RCMP was quick to state that they did not believe there was any connection between the two. However, when the skeletal remains were examined by the Edmonton Medical Examiner's Office and the RCMP Forensic Identification Services, dental records proved that the remains were in fact those of Amber Tucaro. Over two years since her initial disappearance, the discovery of her remains forced the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to finally admit that they should have been more diligent in their investigation. Amber's family wholeheartedly blames the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for the lack of effort in looking for Amber. Amber's death was reported as suspicious, but officials never released exactly how Amber had been killed or for how long she had been dead. What the public did realize soon enough is that the area Amber's remains were found in happened to be exactly 17 minutes south of the Nisku Place Motel, where she had been staying the night of her disappearance. The duration of the drive would have been the same length of time as the full phone call Amber had made to her brother. This notion led investigators to believe that instead of driving Amber north, as the man in the recording had claimed, he had instead driven her southeast along rural county roads. It is unclear what happened to Amber after that terrifying 17-minute drive, but what is known is that Amber had been taken, murdered, and left in the countryside. Though Amber's case is both horrible and heartbreaking, it is not unique. After Amber Tucaro's remains were discovered, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police found the remains of four other women, all within a five-mile radius of the scene. The remains of the four women discovered in the area were that of Edna Bernard, who had gone missing on September 22, 2002, Katie Sylvia Ballantine, who had gone missing on April 28, 2003, Dolores Brower, who had gone missing on May 15, 2004, and Corey Otenbright, who had gone missing on May 9, 2004. Discovering the remains of all five women, including Amber Tucaro, was shocking for people in the area to begin with. When it was released that all four of the other girls were indigenous and that they had all been hitchhiking at the time of their respective disappearances, it was apparent to the public that these killings could have potentially been far more than a series of unfortunate coincidences. In fact, 
the Royal Canadian Mounted Police have been unable to rule out the possibility that these eerily similar murders could have been the work of a serial killer who targeted indigenous women specifically. The fact that all women were hitchhiking meant that their killer or killers were given the perfect crimes of opportunity. Officials have stated that it is extremely likely that one individual committed all the killings. After the discovery of the bodies of Amber Takaro, Edna Bernard, Katie Ballantine, Dolores Brower, and Corey Otenbright, the investigation focused on what few pieces of evidence they had to work with. There had been no description of the car Amber had gotten into on that fateful night in August 2010. The main asset officials had to work with was the recorded phone call, Amber's last-ditch effort to leave some sort of clue behind as she had assumed the inevitable. The women who had stepped forward, claiming that they had been familiar with the male voice in the recording, were disregarded. One of the women had stated, I know that voice. I've ridden with that voice before on several occasions. There is no doubt in my mind that it is his voice. Another one of the women mentioned that she believed that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police didn't look very hard. I knew that voice like I know the back of my hand. Despite how positive these women were that the voice had belonged to the same man, the name they had given officials had been ruled out. The man had been questioned by the RCMP but was said to have not had any connection to the case and was even deemed to have not been the voice in the recording. Officials cleared the man's association to the case and were once again left with no new leads in an ever-aging case. In January 2020, a man came forward after having heard about Amber Tucaro's case for the first time and claimed that he believed that his now-deceased father could have been at the center of all five murders. The man believed wholeheartedly that the voice of the man in the phone call recording is that of his father's, who was known to have frequently driven around the Edmonton area during the years of all five disappearances. In fact, the man believes that his father may have been linked to numerous missing persons and homicide files in Alberta. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police are currently investigating the likelihood of this new association. In 2019, a formal apology was issued to the family on behalf of the RCMP. Deputy Commissioner Curtis Zabloki shared that the sense of urgency needed for the investigation had not presented, and that the case was not the organization's best work. He explained that policies and procedures had been changed as a result of the investigation, including the development of a risk management system to ensure cases don't fall by the wayside, and that officers within the RCMP had felt the consequences of their actions, including some no longer being with the organization. If you or anyone you know have any information regarding the disappearance and murder of Amber Tucaro, or any of the other missing and murdered indigenous women mentioned throughout the video, please do not hesitate to contact Alberta RCMP at 780-412-5261 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS.